Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless. Happy World Diabetes Day. Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and thank you for tuning into our Diabetes with Wellness with a Wow podcast. Tonight, we're celebrating World Diabetes Day Diva Style with an all-star lineup of guests and an exclusive first listen to Whitney Houston's I Wish You Love, more from the Bodyguard soundtrack, courtesy of Sony Music. Whitney Houston's fabulous version of I'm Every Woman echoes the recent statistics that one in 10 women are now living with diabetes and highlights this year's World Diabetes Day theme, which is women and diabetes. Coincidentally, that's been the theme at Divabetic for the past 14 years. From helping women make over their diabetes to exercising their attitude, our goal has been to spark interest in women and their loved ones to take charge of their diabetes like their favorite divas, so they can prevent and delay a diabetes health-related complication from occurring. We know it's not easy, because some days, let's face it, life throws you an unexpected curveball, maybe a high or low blood sugar when you least expect it, and it takes everything you've got just to put yourself at the top of your priority list. Right, ladies? Well, on those days and every day in between, we want you to know that you're not alone. We're here to comfort, connect, and cheer you on. And according to the International Diabetes Federation, there are now 199 million women living with diabetes. I think that's a lot of girl power that we need to inspire with our glam, more fearless attitude, since many of these women don't have access to education, treatment, or care. Now, I know probably a few of you are scratching your head wondering, why did I choose Whitney Houston of all the divas in the galaxy to celebrate November during National Diabetes Awareness Month and serve as our inspiration? She wasn't living with diabetes, and she allegedly had a long history of substance abuse, right? So 
It's easy to roll your eyes and maybe even criticize one of the most successful recording artists of all time, both in record sales and music awards. But if you could quickly dismiss Whitney's record-breaking achievements with little or no compassion for her personal problems, then how fast are you to criticize yourself or size yourself up or dismiss and diminish yourself? Generally, our judgment of others is an extension of self-judgment. And that self-judgment is so ingrained, so normal, that we don't even recognize it. Sure, it's easy to criticize you when you're standing in, self, in, standing in front of a mirror, saying you're too old, you're too dumb, you're too fat, you're too awkward, or like me, too bald, to achieve your dreams. But what happens when you treat yourself with kindness? Things begin to change. It's been proven that it helps lower A1Cs, engages you in better diabetes self-care management, and even helps lead a better way of life. Well, tonight I'll be talking about the greatest love of all, the love that Whitney Houston sang about so famously, which is the love we have for ourselves. My guests include Dr. Beverly S. Adler, Constance Brown Riggs, the Charlie's Angels of Outreach featuring Patricia Addy Gentle. There's more to the story, blogger and author Mindy Bartelson, and fitness pioneer, my friend, America's number one fit, uh, energy conductor, Kathy Dolgen, a.k.a. A high voltage about this topic. Now we're going to continue World Diabetes Day with more music from Whitney Houston. But before we do, I want to let you know that today on World Diabetes Day, if you make a donation to the JDRF, that's the Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund, every donation will be automatically doubled for twice the impact. Go to JDRF.org now and help fund research to cure type 1 diabetes. More music on the way. Did you know that the original Bodyguard soundtrack was the first album certified by SoundScan to have sold more than a million units within one week period? Soundtrack went on to win a Grammy Award for Album of the Year and became the best-selling soundtrack of all time. Here's a previously unreleased version of one of my favorite songs from the album written by David Foster and Linda Thompson. Here's I Have Nothing, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Share my life, take me for what I am, cause I'll never change all my colors for you. everything that you do I don't really need to look very much further I don't want to have to go where you don't follow I won't hold it back again this passion inside can't run from myself there's nowhere
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and we're celebrating World Diabetes Day with epic songs by Whitney Houston. That song, I don't know, always makes me tear up. I just love that song so much. Um, tonight we're talking about self-compassion and treating yourself with kindness and believing in yourself. Well, that's exactly what I did when Colgate called me a few weeks ago and asked me to interview Dr. Natalie Strand on Facebook Live. One of the things I love most about myself is my ability to just try. You know, sure, from time to time I doubt myself, but I never stop myself. After I agreed to do that interview, I hung up the phone and I started to freak out uh, because I just didn't even know if I could do it. (laughs) And, um, you know, I've done so many interviews uh, throughout the years. I've been to every parade in the rain and the shine and everything, but I just, you know, in that moment of doing a Facebook Live, I was like, I don't know if I could do this, but... I didn't despair. I kind of started doing my research, put it all together, and guess what? I'm so glad I did because that Facebook video with Dr. Natalie Strand has over 7,000 views on our Facebook page, and thanks in part to Colgate Total and the American Diabetes Association for helping me raise awareness for oral health in a fun new way. And, uh, you know, that just serves as inspiration that sometimes you just have to push yourself to try new things and believe in yourself. So. That's part of my celebration tonight. How's your World Diabetes Celebration going? Well, let's kick it off and welcome my first guest, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, certified diabetes educator, author, and speaker. She's known as Dr. Bev to her patients, and she's been living with type 1 diabetes for almost 40, over 40 years, I should say. She's the author of two wonderful books, My Sweet Life, Successful Men with Diabetes, and our theme is Women and Diabetes. So she has a book called My Sweet Life, Successful Women and Diabetes, Please welcome Dr. Beverly S. Adler. Hello, Dr. Bev. Happy World Diabetes Day to you. Happy World Diabetes Day to you. And now, you know, I know um, World Diabetes you know, Day was created in 1991 by the IDF and World Health Organization in response to growing concerns about escalating health threat posed by diabetes, but I'm curious, out of all the days on the calendar, why would anyone choose November 14th to celebrate World Diabetes Day? I know, I know, I know the answer. <laughs> would and you what like is me the to, answer? Would you like me to tell you? So yeah, please, all our the, listeners. The, the, thank you. The, um, the two, um, I'm going to say, uh, best-known uh, medical scientists who worked on uh, dis- the discovery of insulin were um, Sir Frederick Banting and Charles Best. They they are they go as Banting and Best, and I do believe that they got a Nobel Prize for their discovery in 1921. And it just so happens that November 14th is the birthday of Sir Frederick Banting, and today would be his 126th birthday, and that's why we celebrate November 14th in his honor. Good to know. And, you know, I I think, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel in the wake of all the hurricanes and disasters that have come, uh, that happened recently in the U.S. and Puerto Rico, um, that the discovery of insulin has never been more necessary because all those people living with diabetes, the uh, diabetes community rallied around them and made sure they could get diabetes in those areas. And I know for a lot of people it was um, 
cause for worry and concern, and it just made you really appreciate what these two men did, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I personally appreciate what these men did because I, as you pointed out, lived with type 1 diabetes for 42 years. And uh, had I been born earlier than their discovery, I would not be here talking to you tonight. And you spent a lot of your time talking to other people, but not only with type 1, but type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes. I mean, do you find in your work uh, that being a peer uh, changes the conversation a little bit with your patients? I think my patients are uh, really appreciative that I can share with them my own experience. And, uh, and I think it does help to inspire and motivate them as well because, I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm the first to tell anybody that. But I think that uh, they can look at me as somewhat of a role model since uh, I'm very proud to say after all these years I don't have any of the major complications. And how do you feel about the theme being World Di- uh, Women in Diabetes this year for World Diabetes Day? I think it's wonderful, honestly. I know that there's a, not, an, a, a lot of uh, discussion this, this year about gestational diabetes, and that, that's a big topic. I mean, it's, uh, it's pregnancy, I'm going to say, is... You know, I mean, we have modern medicine and things. People don't actually think twice about it, but pregnancy is is a pretty, um, it can be difficult for some women, and it's certainly uh, a higher risk factor once you have uh, either you have diabetes with pregnancy or you develop diabetes, gestational diabetes. It it deserves it deserves a lot of attention. Well, now, take us back, because I know you're a mother of some wonderful children. Uh, yes. I'm sure things have changed so considerably over the years around this topic, but how? what was the reaction when you were considering uh, starting a family because you had type 1 diabetes? Well, when I was in my 20s and I uh, learned about all the extra special care that one needed uh to you know, carry through a successful pregnancy, when I was in my 20s, I said, forget it. <laughs> there was just way, way, way too much to do. But by the time I was actually married and in a situation where I was ready to start a family, um, for one thing, um, blood sugar meters had become part of the um, medical technology and uh, that made living with diabetes and being pregnant with diabetes easier to um, to manage to a certain degree. But there, there was it's, it's, it was uh, between the beginning of my pregnancy to the you know it wasn't nine months later, but uh, to the end of my pregnancy, my insulin requirements tripled, and. Uh, that was pretty normal, but, uh, you know, the baby takes it all. And then, uh, you know, for 24 hours after my delivery, I received no insulin, which in my mind was absolutely horrifying that they would not give me any insulin. 
but it was the the body that knew better than me and when they restored my insulin they started at my pre-pregnancy dose it was exactly what my body needed it was amazing to me wow i love it i love that thank you for sharing that story i think it gives hope to so many women out there listening who might be wanting to start their own families and are living with diabetes Looking into your crystal ball, though, like what's one topic around women and diabetes that you would like to see more time and effort spent on? Oh, gee. <laughs> um, uh, I don't really know. Really? Um, okay, because I would love to see them spend more time on uh, menopause and diabetes, menstruation and diabetes, hormones and diabetes, uh, lack of desire, um, <laughs> so many issues around women I just don't think get covered in uh, traditional education. I think it would be so important in this moment if we could put a little bit more focus on that. And, of course, one of the biggest ones, again, with women and diabetes is making yourself a priority. I find that, you know, a lot of women are mothers and wives, and so sometimes they move to the bottom of their priority list. And tonight we're talking more about, uh, I wanted to talk to you about self-compassion. You were so excited when I mentioned to you that we were going to play Whitney Houston's uh, music tonight. You thought yes. for sure we'd be playing The Greatest Love of All, but unfortunately it's not on this album, uh, the 25th anniversary album of, of The Bodyguard. However, that doesn't mean we can't talk about it. So uh, The Greatest Love of All, Dr. Bev, we're going to talk about that now. Uh, I guess it is self-love. That's what she's singing about. Is that what you feel The Greatest Love of All is? Y- yes, absolutely. I, it's To me, that message and your a conversation topic with me on self-compassion. To me, that's the ultimate self-compassion. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. And honestly, there are a lot of people who don't even like themselves. And before you can go on to have a relationship with anybody else, you have to learn to love yourself first. Otherwise, you can't give of yourself completely. But I'm I'm sure some people who are listening used to love themselves a lot and then uh, were diagnosed with diabetes and and that kind of crippled their love of themselves and has changed their opinion about themselves. So, I mean, like uh, you even mentioned in the blog post you did for us how self-compassion, which what does that mean to begin with, can really help change someone's outlook on their diabetes as well as their care. What is self-compassion? Okay. So... We know what compassion for others would be, okay, where you um, can feel, you know, kindness and understanding for others, okay, and support. Well, self-compassion is treating yourself with that same kindness and support that you would provide for a friend. It's not always easy, it's not always easy. And as you said in the beginning, if you're so um, critical and self-judgmental, I think it is very hard to to um, allow yourself to feel compassion for yourself. And um, the way I've I've also seen it described, it's like the golden rule, you know, as you do unto others, as you would do for yourself 
Um, no, I have it wrong, right? <laughs> Do you want to? No, others? I know what you're talking about. I mean, a lot of this is like you you say uh, you've said a lot. The way you treat your close friend is the way you should be treating yourself. Yes, so, exactly. So you know, if you're, if you're respectful and generous and supportive of your friend, why aren't you doing that to yourself? I would think like the biggest issue about this, I'd just like to get your strategy on, is this critical talk, this critical self-talk, the way we acknowledge to ourselves that something negative, like I looked in the mirror and I hate the way I look, or, you know, I hate, um, I'm just so stupid, I I can never accomplish anything in my life, or I have the bad taste in women or men. (laughs) I mean, how do you begin to change that? I I think how would you treat somebody else if they came to you and they said, I really, you know, hate how I look, or I really am so unhappy with myself because I'm so stupid, whatever, okay? You, how you would treat another person and say, no, that's not true, you are smart, you, you know, you, maybe sometimes you don't make the the decision that's well thought through, but you are smart. You know, these are things that you can say to yourself. One of the things about self-compassion is recognizing that we all are human and we have our frailties but that doesn't make us unlovable and and um unworthy of our self compassion. And sometimes like that could be difficult in itself, just kind of talking to ourselves. So you really advocate writing a self compassion journal. That is one strategy, yes, to help yourself. Because, I, I, first of all, some people really like writing. They don't, um, I think writing in a journal is, you're not looking at handwriting, and you're not looking at grammar, and you're not looking at spelling. You just write. And you can get to those issues that are hard to discuss with anyone in a journal because it's for your eyes only and you can in your journal talk about those insecurities and those um, negative feelings and as you write them and realize how harsh they read you can you can change the direction and try to be a little bit more compassionate to yourself well, what do you say to yourself to sh- express self-compassion around your diabetes? Well, I, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little story, <laughs> if you have time. So, my battery died in my um, my um, blood sugar meter, and I was pretty upset about that because <laughs> uh, that's a pretty vital uh, tool sure. that I need. And uh, I normally keep a spare, and I must have used my spare. And so when I went to the pharmacy, I knew exactly, you know, where to go, and I checked the um, the battery number, and it was uh, 2032. And so I looked at all the batteries, and every single battery that I looked at said 2026. And it was... I was very upset about that. If it was round or if it was small or if it came in pairs, 
everything said 2026. And and I kept looking for my 2032, and I couldn't find it. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe maybe they're interchangeable. I don't really know. I was very frustrated. And so I finally just picked a pack off the shelf. And it said 2032 on the top. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So what is this 2026 on all of them? Do you know what it was? They yeah, all expired first. in 2026. And my my first reaction was how stupid that I didn't realize that. But after after I got over that, I I thought to myself that was actually quite funny that uh, that I didn't realize that I was looking at the expiration dates. So I could I, I could look at it a little differently. Reframe it. Well, you know, yeah. I was so excited to have you on the show. I, I'm like one of your f- biggest fans. You're like Whitney Houston. That to goes me likewise to you too. I'm uh, a big fan of yours. So in your honor, we posted this question about how do you show kindness to yourself on our Facebook page to give away a prize tonight, and I uh-huh. thought you would help us figure out our instant winner. <laughs> so Ooh. we posted how, how do you show kindness to yourself. A lot of people said they follow their diet plan, they monitor their blood sugar levels. Uh, someone said they pray to God to give them strength. I'll be talking to Constance Brown Briggs in a little while about faith-based outreach in churches as well as her hearing her own fitness journey. Uh, another woman said she doesn't beat herself up for slipping up on some of her eating. And another woman said she catch up, catch, catches up on book reading, which I love, and meditates peacefully. So we had, um, I need you to pick a number from 1 to 126. Wow. Okay. I am going to pick, in honor of World Diabetes Day, number 14. 14. Okay. Well, for helping us raise awareness in a fun new way, Tonight's instant winner will win a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic safe, low glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners, a cabbage cheese gift basket filled with an assortment of delicious low-fat cheeses, Dr. Greenfield's diabetic foot, hand, and body lotions, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin, and true natural, a true chocolate gift box. True chocolate is the only 72% dark chocolate snack that's sugar-free, gluten-free, ethnically sourced, and incredible. Incredibly delicious. It's true. You could finally eat chocolate and be healthy with their chocolate-covered flame raisins, almonds, wafers, and gluten-free pretzels. Our number 14, our lucky winner is Mallory Parker, who shows kindness to herself every day by putting lotion on her feet morning and night and after showers. Wow, that's great. I'm excited about that, Mallory. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. Anything coming up that we should know about before we move on to our next segment? That you're, any, anything you're working on? <laughs> yes, I'm always working. There's uh, an article of mine that's coming out in Empower Magazine. Uh, I'm guessing it's coming out uh, next month. And uh, it's an article about sh- for parents, the parents' role of shifting diabetes responsibility from children and teens from parents to children and teens and there's different ages that you that i i recommend uh you know a a safe shift 
And that's coming out in Empower Magazine. And then I actually have another article that's coming out for the American Association of Diabetes Educators in their In Practice journal. It's actually only available for diabetes educators, but it's been accepted for publication. And the article is about psychological insulin resistance. So we know what insulin resistance is when your body does not metabolize insulin as it should, so it's insulin resistant. Well, people and some healthcare providers are what we call psychologically insulin resistant, and they have a lot of hesitation to put their patients on insulin. It's not just the patients who don't want to be on insulin, but there's also providers. And so I have a, a professional article that's coming out in, July, in January. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you, and thanks for being on the show. Happy World Diabetes Day. Coming up, we'll be talking about the new guidelines redefining who should be diagnosed with high blood pressure. Doctors say nearly half of the U.S. population meet the new criteria. New criteria. How about you? We'll be discussing the details of this major medical headline after our next song, which was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, but it lost to a whole new world. Can you believe that? From the animated film Aladdin. Let's listen to Run to You, courtesy of Sony Music. Each day, each day I play the role of someone always in control. There's nobody there Today in these health headlines. 
Yes, we, we are always doing research and coming up with new guidelines for something. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's jump in. I'm going to go back first. But let's, I, I want to start with the flu shot because I'm going to be giving out free flu shots uh, this Thursday at Thomas Jefferson. Why, why would anyone with diabetes even want to get a flu shot? Well, first of all, diabetes being a chronic condition as it is, and also when you're thinking of autoimmune conditions, meaning that the body kind is kind of fighting against itself when it comes to healing, um, you want to be in a mode of preventing. And so any type of a viral infection or any type of a bacterial infection that a person with diabetes has only complicates their diabetes. It makes blood sugars more erratic. Um, They're all over the place. And many times a person with diabetes, I mean, it's high uh, rate of people with diabetes who do get flu. Um, It's statistically known that sometimes, a lot of times, flu turns to pneumonia. And so you want to take the precautions and try to prevent flu from starting. Is it safe, though? I know a lot of people always wonder, are these shots safe? It is safe. Um, A lot of research, a lot of tweaking, different things have been done. Um, It's no longer um, a live virus. It's the attenuated virus that is being injected, and so you're not injecting live viruses into the person like flu shot used to be years ago. So um, although a lot of people still tell me when they get a flu injection, when they get that immunization, it seems that they come down with flu. And you may have some symptoms, but usually it's not as severe as it would be if you had not had the flu shot. All right, that's good advice. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about these new uh, guidelines for high blood pressure because the American Heart Association, after 14 years, released these new guidelines, which are, uh, like I said earlier, so many Americans now are qualifying for high blood pressure. I mean, they meet the new criteria. They said nearly half of the U.S. population, in fact, uh, meet the, the criteria. So what is the criteria and what led to the change? The criteria for blood pressure um, now, the the criteria is considered to be 130 over 80. And so for many years we were looking at 140 over 90, but we know that with this stricter guideline we can hopefully prevent the onset of circulatory problems. We need to treat blood pressure and treat it to target so that circulatory compromise and the things that go along with high blood pressure, like heart heart attack, stroke, uh, kidney disease, um, you know, the blood is flowing through our arteries, through our veins at um, high pressures, then we run the risk. It's a systemic kind of thing. It's systemic problems. So it can compromise each of those systems, and blood pressure there is not, when I'm teaching class, I always tell folks there is not one ounce of your body where you don't have circulation. You have circulation in your eyes, in your feet, in your fingertips, in your earlobes. So wherever that blood touches, if you have resistance in the vessels, then that's a problem. So we need to treat blood pressure. When it is measuring high, it needs to be reduced and treated to target ranges to reduce 
the severity of those types of of outcomes. I just have to say, I don't think a lot of people seem to take high blood pressure too seriously. It seems uh, that in my experience, and I'm just talking my personal experience, people just like to pop a pill for it. But I know you've said it, and Neva White, who's going to be at Victory Over Diabetes Expo, has always said, if your heart's working overtime all the time, that's a problem. <laughs> you that's need to definitely do more a problem, take and a that's one of my favorite it. ways of putting it. When the heart works overtime all the time, it's pumping against resistance. And that pump is so um, sensitive, it knows that it needs to send blood flow throughout the body. And so when the heart is located centrally in the top part of the body, but yet it has the job of circulating down into the feet and toes, so when, you're, when there's resistance in those vessels and the heart is having a difficult time, 24-7, pushing that blood throughout the body, then we kind of um, can't expect anything but heart problems. And so if someone's really dealing with high blood pressure, I know they need to talk to their doctor more about it, but are there certain things they could do to uh, lower that? Because I'm sure these numbers are going to frighten a lot of people if nearly half of us are now going to be diagnosed with high blood pressure. And that is quite true. Um, a lot of times weight loss, uh, lifestyle changes, so eating better, reducing the salt, uh, reducing cholesterol levels, so looking at the fats and the types of fats that we're consuming, uh, and the salt and the, and the fat content will also help us with the weight reduction. We can exercise. We can do a lot of different things that will help us to lower blood pressure. We reduce stress. We do meditation. We breathe in and out and and, and work our bodies just Show to relax. Show some kindness on. to yourself, right? Yeah. Show some kindness to yourself to lower that blood pressure. Show kindness to yourself, exactly. All right, so finally I want to ask you, uh, one of Whitney Houston's most longtime rivals, how you doing? Wendy Williams, I don't know if I did that wrong. How you doing? Okay. She heard a notorious radio interview with her in 2003. She interrogated Whitney Houston over an alleged drug abuse, and uh, Houston told Williams at that time, if we were back in the day in Newark, I'd meet you outside. Well, okay, we're talking about Wendy Williams tonight because I don't know if you saw this, uh, Patricia, but on her Halloween show, uh, she seemed to be having a stroke. If you missed it, listeners, uh, roughly about 48 minutes into the show, Wendy Williams was dressed in a costume of the Statue of Liberty, and her speech started to slow down. And she, when she was speaking to the audience, she started stumbling, and then she finally fell to the ground before the screen went to black. Um, she described it as being overtaken by a hot, dizzy feeling and adding the costume got hot uh, right before she passed out. So... Um, I know a lot of she didn't have a stroke. She came out at, during right after the break and told people she was okay. She did not have a stroke and then the next day she came on and again discussed not having a stroke. But I do think here's an opportunity to raise awareness uh for stroke. So I wanted to talk a little bit about stroke because you know that's uh dear and near to my heart because Luther Vandross, my former boss, had type two diabetes and he suffered a stroke. So I thought it would be uh with your help we could raise some awareness for stroke on World Diabetes Day. So tell me a little bit about stroke. What is stroke? 
Well, stroke is actually when the blood flow to the brain is interrupted. Um, in strokes, you have many vessels that will supply our brains with oxygen and the needed circulation, but that vessel, one, at least one vessel becomes blocked or damaged. And so if blood flow is cut off for more than three to four minutes, that part of the brain begins to die. And so we have a hemorrhagic stroke, or we can have what we call ischemic strokes. The hemorrhagic is, is when there is bleeding into the tissue, a vessel ac actually ruptures, and so it's hemorrhaging there. And then ischemic is when blood supply is cut off. Usually there is a clot or something that impedes the circulation to uh, flow as it should to the brain. And so and high blood uh, pressure has something to do with stroke too, right? <laughs> blood pressure definitely has something to do with stroke. I when when I'm teaching classes, I kind of use analogies and I talk about uh and most people can actually relate to having a plumbing system in their house where they have pipes that carry water throughout uh and you know connects and goes through the faucet. And so they kind of can relate that if there is something in the pipe, like ice or whatever, then that pipe will begin to bulge and balloon out, and eventually it ruptures. And when it ruptures, you will have water on the outside, not contained in the vessel or in the pipe any longer. And so that's kind of the way that the blood flows. So when you have high pressure and resistance in your pipes or in your vessels, and the pressure is so high that the vessel starts to bulge or balloon and eventually it ruptures, then that stroke. Or if you have a clot there where the same thing can happen, um, sometimes the clot will cause um, a stricture in the vessel where the passage for the blood flow is so narrow that when uh, by the time it, it it damages the vessel by bulging it and making it balloon out and become weakened, and that also can rupture the vessel. Or you can just stop the blood flow with the clots when they're huge enough and cut off the flow altogether, and that's the ischemic part. So most well, people can't relate to that. And I'm sorry, continue. I didn't mean to No, I was going to say, and, and sometimes I, I remember you saying that a lot of people think that blood pressure is just popping a pill and there's nothing that they can really do. But when you break it down and explain it and they actually understand the pathophysiology of what's actually happening, sometimes they're a little more serious about it, especially if they've ever witnessed someone having a stroke or they have seen the aftermath and the rehabilitation after someone has the stroke. And so... Um, when we break things down and speak in layman's terms and kind of make the picture uh, a little plainer, I think most folk will take it more seriously. I agree, and I want to give a shout-out to Catherine Schuler, our diabetic image and style advisor who suffered a stroke eight years ago. And because of time, the speed at which she was able to be treated, she's had a wonderful recovery from that. So the final thing is just to tell people about FAST, which is, stands for Face, Arms, Speech, and Time, 
when someone's having a stroke. Did you see that clip of Wendy Williams, just for the record, Patricia? I did. I saw that. And so it, she it was probably scary. I'm sure speech. it was scary for her. Yeah, she had the speech part where she kind of started to slur her speech and wasn't making sense. But her face, the F in fast, was about one side drooping, which she didn't have. We couldn't see the arms, which is really when you can't lift one arm higher than the other. It just kind of is lower. Speech is just what we said with that slurred speech or incoherence. And then time is really time is of the essence, and people need to call 911 as soon as they see someone having a stroke so they could get treatment as quickly as possible for a lot of people. TPI, I believe, is a drug that, if treated within a certain amount of time, can help reduce uh, the aftermath considerably. So uh, it's important to know that, and it's a great way to celebrate World Diabetes Day. Patricia, before you leave, what's your favorite compliment you give to yourself? When I'm having a difficult time and it seems like things are just not going my way or not fast enough or quick enough, I'm not coming to that desired end, I, I just tell myself, you can do it. And sometimes I have to look and just say, you go, girl. You can do it because I feel like if there's anyone who's ever achieved it or ever done it, then I can as well. My approach may be different. My speed may be different. I might not do it as quickly, and I might not have as a successful outcome, but overall I feel like I can do it. And uh, that's usually how I can get through a day or a difficult time. I think that's great. Good job practicing self-compassion. You're going to stick around because we might have some callers to celebrate World Diabetes Day. Uh, help me and remind everyone that this Thursday, November 16th, I'll be at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia with Victory Over Your Diabetes Expo. Again, you could register for that free program by calling 1-800-533-3669 or go to our website, divabetic.org, for more information. Uh, our next song is off of the I Wish You Love, more from the Bodyguard soundtrack. It's a Christian hymn written by Anna Bartlett Warner. The lyrics first appeared as a poem in the context of a novel in which the words were spoken uh, as a comforting poem to a dying child. Here's Jesus Loves Me a cappella. This is a really wonderful track off the new album, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong, yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. Welcome back to Diabetes. And I just cut off Whitney Houston. I don't know if anyone's ever done that and survived. I feel <laughs> awful. Uh, 
she's amazing. I was too excited to get to my next guest. It's um, I've been following this woman on Facebook. She's been uh, documenting her fitness journey over the past year, and I find it incredibly inspirational. That's why I wanted her on tonight's uh, podcast. Talk a little bit about how to be your own diabetes bodyguard and treat yourself with self-compassion. Please welcome author, speaker, registered dietitian, Constance Brown Briggs. Hi, Constance. Hi, Max. How are you? Good. Uh, thank you for joining us for World Diabetes Day. Oh, it's my pleasure, particularly on I World Diabetes Day. <laughs> I, I purposely played that song by Whitney Houston because I knew you do a lot of faith-based diabetes outreach, and I was just wondering, like on this day, when you hear those statistics about one in ten women now being diagnosed with diabetes, how, the, how you feel the church could play a role in helping to change outcomes? Oh, the church can play a major role. Um, when I think of the church, I think of a couple of couple of things. One is they're always feeding people in church. Uh, it may be breakfast after Sunday school. It may be a bake sale after church. It may be a banquet. Um, it could be a meeting, and there's food. So that's a great opportunity to discuss the well-being of the um, individuals that are attending church. You have, in a sense, uh, somewhat of a captive audience. And then when I think of diabetes, I, I think of the body, the mind, and the spirit. And when we go to church, ideally, we're going there looking for, uh, if you will, nourishment for the body, the mind, and the spirit. And if we put them all together we can definitely see that the church is an ideal place to help to support that change and the challenge that um, individuals with diabetes face to help them to deal with that challenge, or as I call it, the dailiness of living with diabetes. And, and I'm sure you said the, the community of the church, too, the idea that you're accountable every week, you could check in with each other. I think that makes such a big difference, don't you, in outcomes as far as just having consistency in people's lives? Sure. And, and, and also that, um, you know, spiritual renewal, um, the, the consistency every week of kind of getting the bad, battery recharged. It will help as you go through the week. As uh, you pointed out earlier, you may, you may be dealing with um, elevated blood sugars, low blood sugars, that whole roller coaster effect. And, you know, as that goes on and on, it can absolutely wear you down. And so the church is where you have that opportunity for that spiritual renewal to kind of fortify you and get you built up to, to face the next week. Well, and you're, you've, been face, you've been up to facing the world with a new face every week. I've been reading about you on <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. You've been, you've been doing lectures all over, but you always seem to have time to uh, throw a medicine ball around at a hotel gym. I'm wondering, like, <laughs> what what is this transformation about? How did it start, and what was your goal, and, and how are you feeling at this point? Well, I feel terrific, and, you know, it's interesting that you, you brought up Facebook and Instagram, and, uh, you know, Facebook uh, sends you memories. It brings up your memories for you, and it was just um, I, I had to smile because I looked at a memory from two years ago and, and to see the transformation that has taken place is um, it's unbelievable. 
I have uh, a lot of diabetes, as I say, in the family, both sides of the family, uh, my mother's side, my father's side, um, type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to diabetes. So for me, the, the goal is to outrun diabetes, if at all possible. I, I definitely recognize I'm at risk for it. But as much as I can do um, to prevent it, that's what I'm aiming for. And so a couple of years ago, um, I had been through a, a lot of uh, life challenges, if you will, and I'm also an emotional eater. And I had gained quite a bit of weight. And, of course, we know um, obesity is a major risk factor for type 2 diabetes. And um, so I thought to myself, you know, you've got to get a handle on this. And what also helped is uh, as some of those stressors began to go away, I was able to get better control over my eating, and I really started working out. I I started training um, in the beginning twice weekly. I trained with a personal trainer and did – on my own cardiovascular, you know, some aerobic activity, whether it was jumping on an elliptical machine or my hula hoop, as you mentioned, I I have a travel hoop that goes with me. And if I don't feel like going to a gym at the hotel, I can put together my hula hoop and move furniture around in my hotel room and hula hoop for a half an hour, 45 minutes. And, And that all makes a difference. I love it. So, um, just because I don't know if people really know this, were you active before you started this fitness journey? Sporadically, not consistently. It was, um, you know, kind of like uh, you buy a new piece of equipment and the novelty uh, after about a month or so wears off and then it just sits there if it's a bike or a treadmill kind of collects clothing so that's the way it was for me until um, the last couple of years is when I really have been consistent and um, have been able to, to manage really well. And, and, you know, I'm not the only one who's following you on Facebook and Instagram. So how, what's the reaction been from people who've been watching this journey? It's amazing. When I first started, I didn't really think about um, – you know, other people, more or less. I was really doing it for myself. And I, I made, uh, I started off with a challenge. It was a six-week challenge. I was going to exercise for six days. And I started posting that on Facebook more to hold myself accountable. I figured if I put it out there, then that would help me to stick to it. And just from those posts alone, the feedback has been amazing. How many people that I've been able to motivate, how many people have have watched me and started exercising and, you know, would ask me questions and so on. So that's another um, aspect of it that has helped me and, and kept me going with this, knowing that I'm helping others as I help myself. I love it. And you've got a new book out to help others, too. You've got Diabetes Guide. Uh, enjoying the flavors of the world. Tell us a little bit about that book because your other books okay. have been so successful. I know people yeah. want to yeah. find out about it. Thank you. It's a diabetes guide to enjoying foods of the world, which is perfect for World Diabetes Day, <laughs> talking about the foods of the world. And um, in, in this book, it actually covers 11 different cuisines. And it um, starts off by giving a, a little bit of an introduction in terms of how we all should be eating, um, explaining, you know, the basics. But then for each cuisine, 
It actually gives some strategies for healthy eating within that cuisine. And my goal is so that whether you are that person um, from that particular ethnic background, if we're talking about uh, maybe you're from Peru or you're um, from Thailand or uh, from Greece, you, you know, the, the cuisine that you've grown up on, even though you have diabetes, you still should be able to eat that food. It doesn't mean that now you have to give up your uh, traditional ethnic food. So it will show you what are the healthier aspects in terms of that particular cuisine. And then, of course, those foods that, um, as we say, should be reserved for occasional use or to restrict the portion. So naturally, those are foods that are going to be higher in fat and higher in carbohydrates, sodium, et cetera. And um, I also explain why um, they're in that uh, reserved for special occasion group. And then um, we picked out some of the uh, more popular foods within the cuisine and actually have a table that will give uh, the calories and the carbohydrate grams for a particular serving of that food. So it's, um, you know, one of my mantras is to shorten the cultural distance between the patient with diabetes or the person with diabetes and their health care provider. And so this is just one more step in, in achieving that goal, helping to shorten that cultural distance. I love that. I was just going to ask you, like, what's one thing you would like to see uh, this theme of world, women and diabetes go forward? Like, how would you, what do you think would be, uh, what's missing and what should we add? And I think you just said it by the cultural impact. Sure, Absolutely. And one, one other thing along your, your theme, uh, of course, in, in terms of um, treating yourself with kindness and, and believing in yourself. When um, my last book, prior to this one, the, uh, we'll say the second book, The African-American Guide to um, Living Well with Diabetes, I opened that book. The introduction actually is titled One Day at a Time. So that's one of the, the things in terms of loving yourself and treating yourself with kindness is to take it one day at a time and, and to understand just as the song, that's, that's a song um, uh, Mary John Wilkins actually wrote that song, One Day at a Time. And it's basically recognizing that you're only human and because you're human, you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. But the goal is to take it one day at a time. And while things may not be going your way, um, the way that you'd like them to go, to recognize also that it's not perfection that we're aiming for, it's persistence. So take it one day at a time and aim for persistence and progress, but not perfection. I love it. How about we go one night at a time? Because our next song was written by Whitney Houston. It was the fifth and final single from the release of the multi-platinum The Bodyguard soundtrack. It played during the closing credits of the film. Here's Queen of the Night, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Thanks, Contest. You're welcome.
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and tonight we're talking about how to be your own diabetes bodyguard with a focus on self-compassion. If you're always um, beating yourself up about a diabetes diagnosis, then how would you deal with it if you had more than one diagnosis, like ADHD, anxiety, OCD, and PCOS? Well, here to talk more about loving yourself with multiple diagnoses is my next guest. She's a blogger from There's More to the Story, and she's going to be a soon-to-be author, Mindy Bartelson. Hello, Mindy. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. So thrilled to have you on the show. You know, um, I heard about you on Twitter, and I wanted you on this show because I do think uh, the circumstances in which you're living day to day really uh, practice self-compassion when you're talking about multiple diagnoses, especially at such a young age. I wanted to. Uh, I referenced it quickly, but I just want to take a little bit of time and talk to, and talk about uh, what you've been living with, starting with what happened when you were age seven. Can you walk us through it a little bit? Yeah, so when I was seven years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on March 8, 2000, so I'm coming up on 18 years soon, and I grew up in a small town, and so getting that diagnosis took a long time and was pretty difficult. And then after that, you a couple years later, so you had type 1 diabetes at the age seven, then you started experiencing some other symptoms. Yes, so things that were more pronounced that were an issue enough to require medical attention or hospitalization. So when I got my first period, I immediately had really significant issues. Like I, the pain was enough to hospitalize me, and it wasn't regular, and it really messed with my blood glucose levels. But the automatic answer was, well, it's because you have diabetes or because I was in a small town in the south, we're not going to talk birth control because that means you'll go have sex. So that we were able to finally get me on birth control about a year later, but that was kind of the focus was to just make things a little bit easier so I could at least be prepared. But before then I had always been a little scattered and, you know, considered a type A anxious child. And so that led to, the anxiety and ADHD um, diagnoses? Yes. So when I was about 22, I had kind of reached my limit with, I just felt so scattered and ADHD definitely runs in my family. So we are aware of the symptoms, but also with all of the stigma, my family never wanted to get a diagnosis. They didn't want to talk medication, you know, everything that kind of just then sits in the back of your mind as to why you won't do it. But when I got to my social work classes and my first in-office internship and I was sitting at a desk all day or sitting in the same classroom all day, I reached my limit. So I got my ADHD diagnosis, which also came with a diagnosis of anxiety and OCD, which I had no idea was coming. But it all said presenting before the age of 12, but the person that diagnosed me also made sure to note in my file that she thinks that they were all presenting before I was even diagnosed with type 1 because she didn't want the automatic assumption to be it's because she has diabetes that she's anxious or because she has diabetes she's scattered, you know, and can't pay attention. And then a year later, I was diagnosed with PCOS and endometriosis when I got a breakthrough bleed in my birth control pack that led to an almost two-month period which reminded me of all the issues I had when I was 13. Wow. So, I mean, I know people are 
fascinated by this. I'm sure it's it's touching the hearts of many. I'm just curious, like I know when we talked earlier, you mentioned how some of the mental health issues you were dealing with were kind of um, some of the healthcare professionals might have been led astray because of your diabetes do- diagnosis. And I know that a lot of, uh, there's a smaller percentage of women diagnosed with HD, uh, H- ADHD, sorry, I'm getting this all screwed up. Um, and so I wanted to pay attention, I want people to pay attention to this because you, you mentioned to me just that little confusion that was going on between you and your provider about getting uh, the diagnosis and, and really uh, spoke passionately about why it's so important to be a health advocate. Yeah, so being my own health advocate is definitely a full-time job on top of the diagnosis, but if I didn't advocate for myself and make sure made sure that people were paying attention to, you know, what's going on with me that maybe isn't just the diabetes or it's not the diabetes at all because the go-to every time I walk into a provider's office is, well, it's because you have diabetes. And I very much understand that there are cases for that, but there's also a point where that can't be the answer all the time. So for things like having ADHD or anxiety or OCD, there's, there are a lot of things that are tied to mental health and diabetes, like diabetes distress, but I, it always got attributed that it's, if I didn't have the diabetes, I wouldn't have the other diagnosis, but my belief in the, a provider that I found that I connected with also agreed with this, that they definitely impact each other, but the cause isn't always diabetes. So I have to find providers that will actually respect me as a person. And luckily I've taught myself that I can fire a provider and find one that I like. And that really came into play regarding the PCOS and wanting to go birth control because you're from a small southern town and uh, I guess proper young ladies don't really go on birth control. So that that was also something that I think our listeners would uh, like to hear about because I think they could find some strength in in your courage to kind of step forward and, and push for that. Yeah, so because I was having issues at 13, the idea of a 13-year-old on birth control was not what anybody wanted. But because of I would get hospitalized almost every period and I would have to miss school due to the pain, but part of the problem was I had no idea when it was coming, so I couldn't prepare for my blood glucose levels by doing an increased temp base or deal with, get ready for the pain by having heating pads ready or the pain medication already in my system. Because if it's not, you know, regular, there's no way to prepare for it, and it just comes and hits you like, a, you know, a bag of bricks. And so the only way that I could find somebody to eventually put me on birth control was involving my endocrinologist. Because if you say, well, I have diabetes, that is what gets people to pay attention to, not that I, my period is miserable and something's not right, which it shouldn't have to be the diabetes that gets you in the door. But for me, that was the case. And unfortunately, my sex education was don't have sex. So there was nothing in my mind saying they need to do more tests or it could be this or that. And I was also only 13. So that wasn't on my radar to be doing that. So I never got any of those initial tests done. And we would have to travel about an hour, hour and a half, one direction to go get not just my diabetes care, but all of my other care so that we could find providers that worked going to Atlanta. So I found a doctor in Atlanta that was willing to work with me to get on birth control. And so I got on birth control and I was having regular periods and the pain 
wasn't as debilitating anymore. It could be pretty bad, but I could prepare for it. And at that point, I didn't look back again until I started having major issues again at 23. Now, do you? I know you do a lot of diabetes advocacy. We mentioned your um, "There's More to the Story" blog. Do you see? Do you find that many women share your kind of assertiveness when it comes to working with healthcare providers, or do you find that they're exactly the opposite? I don't want to say the opposite because there was one point where it was, that was not the case for me because as a patient or with gender norms as a woman, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to please people or listen to what I'm told. And that's something that you have to kind of get out of your head that it's not just what they're saying. I also need to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do. And if something doesn't feel right or if I don't feel respected, then I need to go somewhere else, and it's especially true when it comes to periods. So growing up, I was very confident in talking about my diabetes to people and sticking up for myself when it came to diabetes and talking about it and educating people, but I wouldn't talk about my period because you're not supposed to talk about your period. It's this mother gift you get, this gift you get from Mother Nature that you're supposed to be excited for, and then you don't talk about it anymore. You're not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to share it. And you're supposed to, you know, this pain, you're, you know, you're over-exaggerating your pain. It's something that you have to do. You know, it's a sacrifice you make to bring children into this world. So it's something that I had to reevaluate within myself, saying that getting hospitalized for a period is not normal. Having a two-month period, there's something wrong here. So getting that comfort and not holding back with talking about my period took a long time. So now that World Diabetes Day is focused on women and diabetes, what is the one thing you would like to see more brought into the spotlight or shared in this arena to help empower women with type 1, type 2, at-risk, gestational diabetes, pre-diabetes? What do you think is missing from the conversation? I think conversations about women and diabetes, two things really, periods and sex. I you know, I personally do not want to have my own children. I enjoy my friend's children or, you know, even when I was younger, I thought maybe I'll adopt. But for me, it's not something that I wish to do. And seeing in all of the literature about diabetes, when I got diagnosed with PCOS, PCOS and endometriosis, and I was looking into women's health and diabetes, all I was really seeing was pregnancy and diabetes. And that's something that happens later and not every single woman will experience, but I'm going to experience my period, you know, sex is, you know, something that's a part of life. So I wish there was more information out there about that patient voices, as well as research and information that, you know, a girl who starts getting her period can be armed with. I agree. I'm totally with you. I'm down for that. All right. So, you know, I've been uh, trolling Facebook and today, Everyone knows I troll Facebook. Uh, I guess I just let that out of the closet. But anyhow, on Facebook, there's been a lot of gifts and memes about the visibility of diabetes, especially because of uh, World Diabetes Day. I would think, you know, it is an invisible disease, but so is mental health. How, how do you think visibility is changing? And just your final thoughts about how we could move forward, because you're really tackling two of these very taboo subjects to me on many levels and you're doing an extraordinary job at such a young age. And I, I come, I just have so much um, gratitude for what you do in respect. I'm just curious, like how you see things changing for your generation, especially around how we talk about these things on social media. 
Thank you so much. So I, I think a big thing just in general, because I'm right on right in the middle of, you know, the Internet and social media becoming a really major part of our lives. So just the fact that these are these kids are, you know, able to see, although I'm grateful I didn't have social media as a child or during my middle school days, nobody wants proof of that. But seeing being able to see people talk about diabetes openly online, that's, you know, no matter where you are that's something that you can see and it becomes more normalized. So not thinking that there's shame or not thinking that you're alone. So I think that's just been a huge change already. And some of the things that are changing, maybe not quite as fast as I would like them to are kind of the leaders and role models that are being put into the spotlight. When I was growing up, I realized I've been attending and now volunteering at a camp in Georgia for kids with diabetes. I realized I never had a female speaker with diabetes in my years of camp and they were, you know, all male athletes, which is, was great when I was a little kid and it's still really important to look up to. But as you become a teenager, you realize, well, not all of us will become athletes. And I was wondering where are my powerhouse women who are lawyers and doctors or even just, you know, men who are lawyers and doctors. So the fact that that has slowly been changing, I hope it'll get a little faster has been a really big deal. And the fact that people are being upfront about their diabetes, because growing up, I was the only one at my school, and so I would be quieter about it sometimes. Then when I would go to camp, I'd see all the volunteers kind of wearing their diabetes on their sleeve and being successful and all these other things. So the more that it's present, it becomes normal, so you don't feel as ashamed. I love it. What's one thing you love about yourself before as we wrap up? I definitely love my combination of perseverance and tenacity because I, I don't let go. I'm that person, they go, oh, no, it's her again, and I'd gladly wear that any day. Awesome. Well, you're fabulous. We love you. And we love my next guest coming up. But before we introduce you to America's number one energy conductor, I think so much of this woman, I'm going to play the Divabetic anthem for her. It's off the uh, – Whitney Houston's, I will, uh, Whitney Houston's new 25th anniversary bodyguard soundtrack. It's uh, written by Ashford and Simpson, and uh, you'll find out more about a kickoff party I'm doing for Luther Vandross next year. But let's take a minute and listen to I'm Every Woman once again before I introduce you to High Voltage. Here's Whitney Houston. Final guest, she is fabulous. Please welcome High Voltage. Woo! <laughs> Energy up! Oh my God, Max, how are you? I'm good. Happy World Diabetes Day! Thank you for being on the show. Well, I'm <laughs> and helping so me get people's energy up tonight. 
Well, the energy is up, and as you are putting on Whitney Houston, I'm Every Woman, it took me right back to um, when we opened up the uh, Diabetes Institute, Friedman, um, in New York some years back, and, you know, the beginning of the Sugar Savvy Sisterhood. And listening to the conversations of your guests, uh, and Max, I'm going to listen. Is this a weekly or monthly? What are you doing? It's a monthly podcast. show. Well, I have a, a second podcast coming up. Thanks for letting me remind listeners on uh, Tuesday, November 28th, we're going to be talking about gestational diabetes with Dr. Andrea Chisholm, but usually it's a monthly show. Well, I'm going to make sure that I get the word out around here because, you know, I've been out and about and in the media and, you know, around a very long time. And the guest, I had just forgotten how amazing you are, sweetie, and the guests and the, the different you know, perspectives that they bring up. And it just reminds me of our conversations over the years, you know, management versus, you know, prevention, you know, turning it around. And, I mean, you have something for everyone because, you know, everybody's different. You have to go about it in different ways. But um, congratulations, baby. I'm very proud of you. You have an amazing show. Well, and I'm very proud to know you. I mean, we met through a uh, random email to each other, but we should tell everyone, you've been a health and wellness pioneer for years. You're a best-selling author, TV personality. You've been on the Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS Morning Show, CNN Extra, Entertainment Tonight. You just talked about your book, Sugar Savvy Solution. Right now, uh, you were living in New York. Now you've relocated to Cleveland, and you've got the whole Sugar Savvy Sisterhood going on. And one of the most important parts, or I consider one of the uh, cornerstones of your program, Energy Up, is affirmations. Tonight we've been talking about self-compassion. A lot of people out there listening, Voltage, just don't like themselves. And I know you believe words are power, especially the words we say to each other, ourselves, excuse me. Well, words are power and gratitude being your attitude if you, you know, if you cannot be in gratitude and be depressed and upset at the same time, just like you can't be happy and you can't be sad. And these are choices. I mean, that is a powerful statement. And self-love, especially women, they give so much. And, you know, mothers, wives, you know, women many times feel guilty really taking care of themselves. And ladies, if you don't, you know, plug yourself into an energy source and really live clean and happy and healthy, you cannot give to anyone. So you have to work your affirmations the same way you work your muscles. You have to make it part of your protocol. And first thing in the morning, all, and I'm sure you remember this, Max, all our affirmations, you know, start with, I am happy, I am healthy. And whatever statement that follows is something that needs to be powerful to you. Max, I would say one of my favorites, I am happy, I am healthy, all I need is within me now. Meaning, we all have what we need, we have our very powerful source, but we just kind of give our power away and give our energy away, and you, you don't have to do that. And type 2 diabetes, the only good news about type 2 diabetes is for the older generation, because dementia and, you know, um, all these different um, mind and losing the memory things. There's, Max, have you heard this? They refer to it as type, it's like type 2 diabetes. They're calling it type 3 diabetes. Yeah. Have you heard that statement? Yes, I have. Meaning, you know, brought on by lifestyle. And that's powerful. I mean, 
everybody acts like all these different, you know, um, chronic diseases are different, but they all have the same sources. And affirmations can override it. Living in gratitude, you know, can make you stronger. But if you're not willing to change your food, it's really challenging. And addiction to reality. And that's one of my favorite things, affirmations around you, because you did change your food. I want to tell everyone a little bit about what you realized when you became addicted to sugar. But you say, um, now I'm not going to get right because I'm on the spot, but I, um, I don't. I I I just I eat what I want. I just don't want to eat that. Instead of saying I can't exactly. have that, you kind of changed the language around the foods you oh, eat. Yeah. Earlier in the show, we were talking about high blood pressure and people putting a lot of salt on their foods. And and Constance Brown Briggs, who I love, was just talking about adding more flavors of the world to your food. But I mean, a lot of people listening hate their diabetes because they hate what they can't eat. And you kind of changed that, and you really believe and showed me as well that you can change your taste buds. So talk a little bit about that because I, I find that well, you can absolutely empowering. You can absolutely change your taste buds. And um, the real verbiage is, um, you know, the MGM program is the only program you can eat whatever you want, think what you want, do what you want, but we're going to help you change what you want. So in order to change food and, look, I love to eat, Max. I, I, I love to eat. But if I know something is not good for me and is going to, you know, drain my energy, I, I, my brain cannot like it. And if I know something is really, I mean, if it's bad for me, if something's good for me, taste is, if you do a cleanse, like if you're addicted to salt or you just use a lot of salt and processed foods, if you go for just 48 hours just eating, you know, vegetables, it's like a detox, your taste buds actually wake up. Salt deadens your taste buds. So, of course, if something doesn't have a lot of salt in it, it tastes terrible to you. But you can absolutely change that. And once you cleanse your palate, it opens you up to being able to enjoy clean, you know, fresh, healthy foods. And you can use all amazing herbs and spices, just not salt. And then the other issue is, you know, sugar. Sugar's a drug. You know, it's as deadly as alcohol or drugs. If you're an alcoholic, you understand you cannot drink light beer. If you really have the brain chemistry of, you know, sugar addiction, you have to kick it to the curb or at least kick it to the curb long enough that you can, you know, Max, today, like you've known me many years. I can actually eat, um, you know, like a small amount of agave or, you know, whatever I want, you know, keeping it moderation, no more than 24 grams, but you have to get your nutrition strong. Addiction, I'm in Ohio taking care of my parents. They're on the planet, I'm here. (laughs) Once they're not on this planet, I'm gone. Um, But sugar and, you know, different drugs and addiction is very, very real. And the opiate problem here, many people have never, if your brain doesn't have what it needs to function you're always depressed. You, you know, you're sad. Your energy goes up, down because your blood sugar is all over the place. But if you really work out every day, work your affirmations, live in gratitude, you actually start to feel good. And many people never feel good, Max. That's why they, they, don't, pre- they don't protect their health because they don't feel that good anyway. 
And you can turn that around. I had a horrible drug problem, you know, food addict. I was crazy, bulimic, anorexic, you name it. You know, you can turn it around. You know, I'm 70 years old. I never felt better. I look pretty much the same, Max. You haven't seen me. But I think when you come into that event you're doing, that Luther Vandross thing, it sounds amazing. So I may be seeing Well, we're going to be celebrating (laughs) Luther Vandross next May, May 10th through the 13th. I'm hosting the ultimate Luther Vandross fan experience. I have a kickoff party at Sugar Bar on Thursday. We're going to go see Lisa Fisher and the Grand Baton at the Blue Note on Friday. (laughs) Saturday, we're going to show some of Luther's most iconic performances on the big screen at um, a theater in Chelsea. And then Sunday, Catherine Schuller is going to host an 80s fashion brunch. Uh, We should tell everyone, when it comes to 80s fashion, you're probably one of the icons with the (laughs) glitter and the rhinestones. You really also... In, I believe in that too. I mean, what I what there's so many things I love about you, and I think like when we come back to self-compassion, it's this idea of these affirmations and the ability that just telling yourself this stuff every day, I'm happy, I'm healthy, really can spark a change in you. Especially Powerful. people who are listening right now who are probably pretty down in the dumps, and uh, you know, a lot of people, like you said, they 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 let, think their bodies let them down. They got to you know rise up and get their spirits up and their energy up. Well, and rise up. Look, love yourself exactly where you are. I don't care if you're 100 pounds overweight, 200 pounds overweight. Doesn't matter where you're starting. But once you reclaim your energy and you take your power back. If you do that cleanse, and it can be any cleanse, it's not, you don't have to go buy some, you know, some sort of a drink or this or that. I'm just talking, you know, get your 64 ounces of water down and, you know, tons of vegetables, but literally just clean food. You're just cleansing your body out. All that bloat starts to just fall off, Max. So when you get on that scale every day, even though weight is not just the issue, it is, you know, it's how we keep track kind of of how well you're doing, but... Every day when you're on that scale and the weight is just falling off, that gives you motivation. And then something, and it is the affirmations, I promise you, and and living in gratitude. Your brain is a computer. Whatever you feed it is what it operates on. And if you want to change behavior, you have to change what you are putting into your brain because that becomes your reality. It is that simple. Words have vibration. Everything's vibration. I mean, this stuff is not complicated, and, you know, some people, when they hear kind of new agey stuff, they're like, whoa. But there's real, I mean, there's science out there now. You know, words are power, attitude, gratitude. Many of these things can be measured, and it's just as easy. When you wake up in the morning, it's raining, you're in a bad mood. If you get up complaining, that is what your day is going to be like. You know, I not to bring religion into it, you know, but I'm a Jesus girl. I mean, but my Jesus loves everybody. doesn't tell anybody what to do. You love him, he loves you. But I wake up every morning, you know, good morning, Jesus. I mean, literally, I say good morning to God. I wake up, I thank them for my family. I have so much to be grateful for. You know, at my age, to have my mom and my dad, even though, you know, taking care of them is a little bit challenging. But, you know, I'm just thankful so going into this, you know, time of year, Thanksgiving, if you work your affirmations and gratitude, I promise you things will start to change, and they'll start to change immediately. And it's exciting. I mean, I'm hoping I can it get two of my sugar savvy sisters here to come in, you know, with me to New York. But there's a lot going on, Max, and just 
hearing your show, and I mean, you're you're the man. I found you. We found each other. I saw you an article um, in People magazine, I think, that I read. Coincidentally, that week, somehow, I think you said you saw me on the Today Show. You reached out to me, and I would have never had the success, and I had a lot of it in New York, you know, without you. When we opened well, the Human Diabetes Institute, it was amazing, amazing what we did. So, I can't, I can't imagine celebrating World Diabetes Day without you, Volta. So thank you for uh, being on the show tonight because you really represented self-compassion to me. And I, I know our listeners really heard what you were saying and just appreciate it so much. We're running out of time. So thank you and thank all my guests for being on tonight's show. Please subscribe to DivaBetic's e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit our Facebook pages and videos. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Practice an affirmation. We're going to close um, the show with probably Winnie Houston's most iconic song. I want to dedicate it actually uh, Father, Stan Zadek, who right now is battling terminal cancer. I'm so proud of my dad and the work we accomplished together for uh, diabetes advocacy. I love you, Dad. I want to do this podcast in your honor tonight. Here's Whitney Houston's live recording of I Will Always Love You, courtesy of Sony Music. Enjoy.
you.